there's a report out there, a damning report, looking at the future by looking at the past, and it damns us as leaders, as responsible citizens. And I want you to listen to it. The piece is called The Damning Durham Report by Mark Hemingway, one of my favorite writers, uh, spouse of the great Molly Hemingway, a dad, decent fellow who's worked at newspapers, USA Today, and many others. He's much younger than me, but he's seen journalism collapse, as have I. And there's no way, way to go when it collapses. When it collapses completely, there won't be any ears to listen to her stories because they wouldn't understand it. Like the semi-literate children in those movies involving the apocalyptic future, Mad Max and Beyond Thunderdome and so forth, where these illiterate children told myth and they believe in the myth and they invest in the myth, but it has nothing to do with the real life. And that's what we're doing to ourselves and our republic today. And to talk about that, we're going to have Mark Hemingway, Real Clear Investigations, who's written the Damning Durham Report for the Washington Examiner magazine. Joining us, as always, will be Jeff Carlin, executive producer, WGN Radio, master of cats, friend of cats, friend of John Cass, husband to Christine, and all our best wishes to Christine. I hear she's having some difficulty, so we pray for her and hold our love out for her. And for me, John Cass, husband, father, executive editor or editor of johncastnews.com. I'm trying to write every time, every week. I say I'm going to have another column, and it didn't happen. It happened the week before. It didn't happen this week. I'm sorry. I'm trying. Rehabilitation of what I've gone through isn't like a clear science. It isn't clean. Sometimes you one step up, one step down. And where are you as our republic falls apart? As we forget what to ask. As leaders of the media ignore what is going on with the credibility of human beings and the credibility of the audience, and people drift away from the foundation and the understanding of what our founding fathers were offering to us. They did not want an, a weaponized FBI. They didn't want an FBI. And they didn't want a, a weaponized secret police that goes after only the political enemies of the president and protects the friends. That's the Chicago way. And that's where you are now with Jeff Carlin, Mark Hemingway, and me on WGN+. Plus. So this is a guy who lives high on the hog and he has this Tammany Hall-style attitude to power. And um, it is, it's the Chicago way, absolutely. Look, the, the Chicago way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago way. The Chicago way. That's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand 
with pen and paper in his hand. Defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river. Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. As promised, we're speaking with Mark Hemingway, one of my favorite writers, senior editor at The Federalist, and also at Real Clear Investigations. You're working with your wife, man. Is that difficult? Because I, I, it would, if Betty came down to the Tribune during the day, I don't know, I don't know if our marriage would last. <laughs> so, um, uh, I. My name isn't on the cover of the book, but um, I was uh, heavily involved in the writing of my li- wife's last book on the election rigged. Oh, yeah. Yes. We loved it. She says as much in the acknowledgments yes. of the book that yes. I was <laughs> basically the co-author. It, it, was, it, was, it was weird. It wasn't like that was necessarily the intended arrangement when we started that book. But um, after I wrote a book with my wife and we didn't kill each other, I figured that we could do just about anything. So, uh, um, you know, I'm not going to say that voices weren't raised at various points during the writing, writing of that book, but, <laughs> but we survived. Um, and so we, my, my, my wife and I, my wife is actually amazing and, and we do really well working together, which is, you know, unusual for two writers, uh, to be married and then in close proximity like that. But, um, I'm pretty happy the way my life's turned out. The great Molly Hemingway, we should mention too, a friend of the podcast. We were uh, talking about that book uh, last year. It was great. Uh, such a when good it came out, yeah. And she also got a good review. I don't know where. Johncastnews.com, right. <laughs> but, you know, it might be because we think alike. And, uh, you know, you don't want to just give great reviews to people that agree with you. But that book was important, just as this discussion now is critically important. You know, I keep hearing uh, the, the, the end of days, the end of the Republic, the Republic is collapsing as the Philistines... Uh, you know, take over, and you know what? I I can't help but think otherwise when I when I see what the left and the mainstream media, or whatever you call them, how they're treating the Durham report, and your piece, Mark, on the Durham report, and what's there and what's not there, I thought was just fantastic, and in in all the best sense. And tell us about that piece. Why is that important? Well, thank you, uh, first off, for saying all that. But, uh, oh, yeah, um, you're, you're not wrong. I mean, it is uh, more than a little dispiriting <laughs> to see the reaction to the Durham report, um, which I think is is important to understand on two different levels. Um, the first level is obviously just, you know, what it says in terms of how the FBI went about conducting this, like, absolutely insane investigation where, uh, you know, they, they premised the investigation on nothing. Um, one of the interesting things that's kind of a through line throughout the entire report uh, is how it, it's constantly chronicling how the FBI keeps coming to British intelligence, you know, um, with, <laughs> you know, new evidence on collusion or, you know, asking them to cooperate in their investigation and having British intelligence, who last I checked, you know, British intel was not exactly full of MAGA diehards, ah. basically like laughing in their faces and swearing at them that they're absolutely insane for pursuing this. Um, uh, you know, and, and again, 
you know, nothing to do with British Intel, you know, trying to help out Donald Trump. It was just that they're a professional intelligence, you know, agency that, you know, cares about not subverting democracy and, you know, getting mixed up in this mess. But, you know, I'm so on, on one hand, you have all these things where, you know, it goes through, say, the, the origins of the Steele report being, you know, sourced to Igor Danchenko, who, you know, at the time the FBI, uh, was citing him uh, um, and and hiring him as a confidential informant. Uh, they they weren't sure whether or not he was a Russian spy. I mean they they had uh, um, done a previous counterintelligence investigation to the guy um, years ago that was came out inconclusive, and yet here they are, you know, sourcing all this information in warrants to spy on an incoming president uh, from to a guy that, that might or might not have been a Russian spy. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible um, that they they did this, and and it's it's an, something to keep in your mind next time you get lectured about succumbing <laughs> to disinformation. You know, the FBI didn't seem to care about whether or not they were injecting, you know, <laughs> something straight from Russian intel into the American body politic. So there's all kinds of details on that level in terms of just the actual, like, you know, mechanical details of how the investigation got rolling and how it got, you know, and how, how it kept going in spite of the fact that at every single turn, it was revealed to be a complete and total farce. So um, you can understand the report on that level. And I think it's really important if you're not familiar with the details of the Russia collusion scandal, because it gets, it can get complicated. Um, it's, it's a really important report that actually just lays out the narrative in, in, in a way that is just absolutely true and absolutely devastating to the FBI and much of the security state and, and people that were supporting this. Um, but there's also another level, I think, that you have to understand this on, which is simply to say, like, what this means about where we've arrived in terms of uh, um, rule of law uh, in a constitutional republic. Um you know, we have a situation here where, you know, I, I we built up this and I talk about this in the piece where, you know, we built up this big mythos around Watergate mm-hmm. as, you know, this this idea that we have to hold be able to hold rogue presidents accountable. Right. Well, here we are 50 years after Watergate. And the real problem is not rogue presidents. It's the fact that unelected bureaucrats in the security state and elsewhere can, you know, go around subverting the election of a you know legitimately elected president with zero consequences and have, you know, unchecked, unlimited power to do so, um, contrary to, you know, democracy. That That's a really terrifying thing. So I think those are the two levels you really have to understand the Durham report on. The um, a cousin or someone was mentioning because uh, after I got out of the hospital, I, I've gone a, a, an awakening. I've, I've changed. My whole palate has changed. Where I used to eat, you know, Bill Sultan Bocala, Romana, and Linguini with with uh, clam sauce. Now I'm all about pho and Asian food and oysters. Hmm. And a friend of mine, said, my cousin Johnny, says, well, let's go to the Union uh Union uh, Fish House, Oyster House in Boston for oysters and history. And I said, Johnny, history is a dunghill now. And we're not the cocks who get up on it to crow. History is like a cobblestone lying in the street that you pick up and heave through a window. And the window says the, the Republic of the United States. I I I I see these people, as you say in your piece, worse than Watergate has become a Washington cliche that is both inex, inescapable and meaningless. Dozens of political st- scandals since then 
have been objectively worse, but the scandal still looms large. This is because of the mythos it created. And mythos is not a beer. Uh, created <laughs> by, by involving a press corps and a Washington establishment already concerned, allegedly concerned, with moving heaven and earth to get at the truth, even when the story involved little more than a third-rate burglary, as Nixon's secretary famously named it. So these are the people who are the conservators of history in our republic, these people that tell us how important it is. And July 4th, some I'm sure some of these unfortunates will uh, write something important about July 4th as if it's some dusty document, you know? Yeah. But they're stepping on the republic every every chance that they get, including when you write this great, fantastic, and important piece, there's snarky little boys and girls from the left coming out and taking pot shots. And I thought, my God, I mean, have you no dignity? Have you no shame? It just hurts. I kind of anticipated that a bit in the piece, and I tried to talk about yeah. it because yeah. the, the the spin uh, on the Durham report has just been absolutely incredible. I mean, basically, uh, the the big response has been, "Well, we already know the truth of the uh, Russia collusion story because of the Mueller report." It's all and, it's, it's all old news. What are you ma- making a big story about? Right, right. But but also, it's like they tried to set a narrative with the Mueller report that just, it it simply doesn't hold water. Um, But what's interesting is it's just everything has become this exercise in raw power. So because um, Durham didn't get any, you know, big indictments out of his, you know, investigation, but the Mueller report got, you know, dozens of indictments, you know, the vast majority of which, which were, you know, Russians in absentia that were, you know, unconnected to the Trump campaign. And never mind that, you know, some of the indictments that came out of it, you know, actually, like, the George Papadopoulos story where, you know, basically Papadopoulos pled guilty as a result of a plea that he got for, um, you know, cooperating with the Mueller investigation, you know, that saved him hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees, but he's maintained he was entrapped the entire time and with good reason. And the report ultimately concluded that George Papadopoulos did nothing wrong. He had no improper contact with the Russians or anything of the sort. Um, but they got their indictments. And if you think about like what this says about where we're headed, you know, if we judge, um, you know, these respective narratives about what happened in the Trump-Russia investigation as a result of who got the most indictments versus reading these reports and saying, okay, what's true and what's not. We're headed to a really dark place in this country. You know, if it's just about a matter of, you know, like raw political power, you know, in terms of what special prosecutor can get the most indictments as opposed to, you know, actually sorting out and telling the American people what actually happened. And what's crazy about this is, is if you look at the polling and all this other stuff, um, you know, the American people don't believe that there was anything at the, the core of the, the Russia collusion investigation after three, four years of it being the, the, you know, breathless speculation about Russia collusion being the number one news story in the country. American people just don't believe it. Um, and with good reason. But, you know, this is the narrative that the official Washington still seizes on um, because they don't like Donald Trump. They also don't like us. And by us, I mean the the people of middle America in the country who don't buy the MSNBC line. We don't buy it. And I, I think they get upset and they attack people for that. They do. And, uh, and what, you- are they, what dark place, Jeff, you're part of this. What is the dark place that we're going to? 
Well, Trust. you know, Mark, you kind of hit, you nailed it there. The, I, and I saw it. This was my my gut reaction when I was listening to the various news outlets kind of covering the Durham report as it came out. And every one of them ran that line. You were just kind of covering the idea of, well, you know, there are only two low level indictments and, you know, and but the, the Mueller report, look, there were dozens of them. Uh, so clearly it's really not a big deal. I that that flexing of power and these the ever growing cacophony of like kangaroo courts in this country where people bring up something just to knock somebody else down, not because it's the right thing to do or not because it's it's what's right for everybody. It's the power thing. And I think that's where we're going. I think we're going to this plate where it's just only going to be a tit for tat scenario where one special investigation into the next. And it's, it's just a free fall and a chaos, especially when the FBI and the DOJ have been so tattered. I mean, I think that's the world we're going, the dark world I see coming ahead of us. Yeah. I mean, that was one more sober things about the, the Durham report is he, Durham is actually incredibly upfront about all of this mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he just, you know, he says, look, I'm in, in the one point report, look, I'm not even going to bother making recommendations to, you <laughs> know, for new policies or laws or whatever to fix this mess, because none of it is going to matter. If, you know, the people running the FBI are bad people who act in a partisan, vindictive political fashion and disregard the exi- disregard the existing policies mm-hmm. anyway, you know, um, that's where we're at. I mean, you know, it has nothing to do with people, you know, adhering to the letter of the law or common sense. Um, they, they they really just don't care. I mean, and a lot of it has to do with, I think, you know, as John, you know, correctly pointed out, is they're enacting revenge on the voters themselves. Um, and, and that's the real problem. I mean, they, they, they think that, you know, you and me, uh, and, and people that don't think like the people running Washington, because they're doing such a great job of that. Um, the people that want to rein them in and, and, and limit their power, they're the ones that need to be put in their place, not the people that are, you know, running the country into a ditch. So 50 years or so after Watergate, where are we? Because Watergate was about the institution of the press being held up as, you know, shining beacons of light, trying, you know, seeking to enlighten us all. And uh, the press was about not caring about its own self, but trying to wake us up to the excessive power, excesses of government. And now where are we? Well, Specifically, as far as the press is concerned, I mean, you know, I've I've worked at two daily newspapers, three magazines and a financial wire. And, uh, you know, John, you've been around the block here, too. Uh, you know, from the, the word go, all of that, you know, that myth making around Woodward and Bernstein and Watergate and all of that um, was a pile of steaming pile of horse crap back then. <laughs> um, and, yes, you know, it it's, it's only gotten stinkier in the 50 years since. Um but what I what I do think is interesting, though, and and this is you know something that you know I, look I'm 47, so I'm just old enough to, you know I when I started in journalism in the late 90s, there were still people smoking in the office, and you know <laughs> yeah. um, it was there were still you know remnants of it being kind of a working class profession. Um, uh, what I think is like really really revealing. Mean, not everyone was Howard Feynman. Correct. Right. right. Yes. Um, and, you know now you go into the Washington Post newsroom and like you know. Uh, everyone, you know, went to, you know, Brown and, uh, they have a MFA in creative nonfiction from, uh, you know, Columbia for their graduate degree and they all have rich parents. Um, and 
So consequently, you've, 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 we've had this big sort of seismic shift in terms of like, you know, even though, even though the press was liberal 50 years ago, it was, it was sort of a, um, it was sort of a working class profession. And, and now it's like a bunch of people who come from the ruling class serving the ruling class running newsrooms. And it's just, you know, uh, you know, I'm probably not telling you anything you haven't seen in terms of the shift of newsrooms, especially in a place like Chicago. But uh, it, it's really, really dispiriting that these people are so interested in like being, you know, lackeys for the, you know, the, the regime, as it were, uh, um, as opposed to getting at the truth. I mean, like, I mean, the, the story behind, you know, the true story of the Russia collusion investigation is just amazing. I mean, and it's just yeah. even 15 years ago, it would yeah. have been just shocking to me to see the media licking the boot of the freaking FBI like this. Um, and that yeah, is that's what, exactly what it is. Right? It's outstanding. The FBI that was, you know, is, oh, notorious for, well, I know, eavesdropping and everybody has a file on everybody and we are clutching our pearls. We can't believe that. No, what? The FBI is with ulterior modes where there are people in there who are is just as devious as everybody else. I, but they, I, but Jeff, you know, the, what they're doing what the left has done by throwing out all standards mm-hmm. and uh, just attacking and attacking and partisan attacking is what they're doing is they're creating a, sin- a system where the American people will not will no longer believe in what they say. And that's truly, as, as uh, our guest today has said, it's truly a dark place because uh, we get lost. The American Republic, this great experiment, gets lost in this darkness. And we come out of it dripping with uh, vengeance. And that's no way to run a republic. Joe Biden, will there be a history where people return to what happened, you know, and question what happened or we're just going to go on here until we until the china until china decides to just take us well yeah i mean i uh i i hate to be such (laughs) a downer um, about all this but like i mean i i really i can't disagree i mean you know any light at the end of the tunnel i'm seeing you know is probably a train um (laughs) but uh um it's 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 really a situation here where like the thing is is you know what's that alexander solzhenitsyn quote about you know uh, they know that we know that, you know, that they, they know that we know that, you know, that everybody's lying. Um, right. And the thing is, is, you know, again, you know, polls show American people, you know, by pretty, pretty sizable majority think there's nothing to the, you know, Trump collusion thing. And, and they're right about that. Yeah. Um, but it's not about the truth at any point in time. It's literally about setting a narrative and forcing you to accept that and forcing you to accept the terms of the discussion. That's why we ended up in a situation here where, you know, you know, we had a, you know, the complete censorship of a major corruption scandal, you know, actually, you know, censored in peacetime in this country, you know, um, <laughs> heading into election it was just That's absolute insane. bananas. And, you know, and, and one of the other dispiriting things about the, the Durham report is when you look at like what they, they did in comparison to other things, like, for instance, the FBI had information that a, you know, foreign source was trying to infiltrate the Hillary Clinton campaign. So what did they do? Right. 
they held a defensive briefing and informed Hillary Clinton's campaign about the, the fact mm-hmm. that this was going on. When you compare that to what they did with Trump, they had this weird suspicion. They kept everything in secret. They went and they got warrants to spy on you know Trump's campaign, and and they, and then they did all this other stuff. They did everything but inform Trump about any of these things because they were trying to trap him. Um, you know, you know, it, it's just the contrast could not be clearer in terms of how they they handle these things. I mean, you know, the FBI had Hunter Biden's laptop for nearly a year in their possession uh, before the election. And then the media comes out and starts censoring stuff right and left, and they remain silent. They knew it was real. Joe Biden knew it was real. I was at the Tribune when that laptop story came out with the po- from the Post, Miranda and others were writing it. And I wanted to write in support of what they found. The All the horror I got from the Tribune editors, you know, Bruce Dold was gone. Um, the, the people that represented the Tribune were all gone. Maybe Kristen McQuarrie was there. That was it. And the others were gone. And I thought, I kept wondering, where are, you know, where are we going as a society? Where are we going as an industry? We're, we're just floundering around. And now I see, I see how it has changed the landscape to the point where young people are afraid to question editors. Rather, like in the old days, they would stand up and fight with editors. That was one thing that was, uh, I guess, looked favorably, even by the editors who were fighting. And all of it is uh, becoming homogenous, like newspeak written by Orwell. Yeah. I was thinking about this the other day, like one of my first real journalism jobs out of college was I was working at USA Today and Uh um, I was in the newsroom and I can't remember what I did, but I made some significant mistake. And I remember one of the editors like got up from their desk across the across the newsroom, walked across the newsroom and screamed at me in front of like 30 people. And said what? What? And said what? I don't even remember. Uh, but the point is, is I had made a legitimate mistake. They were not shy about letting me know that I had made that mistake <laughs> and I didn't make that mistake again. Um, exactly. And I didn't, you know, run around thinking that, you know, I had been, you know, uh, unduly treated as a result of this. I mean, right. I like, you know, look, I'm not advocating people go around screaming at people in the workplace, but, um, you know, the idea that people are afraid to uphold standards, the idea that people are afraid to be incredibly outspoken, uh, you know, when, when, uh, you know, the truth isn't told, uh, right. and, and that's happening in newsrooms where everybody's running around walking on eggshells is really, really deleterious to, you know, uh, the truth. And, you know, you can't run a country without the truth. That's for darn sure. They're all worried they want to be on the so- George Soros bus, or at least at, at the Chicago Tribune, based on what happened to me. They want to be on the Soros bus. and I. But I do remember his name was James P. Gallagher. He was a tough Irish guy who was a merchant sailor like I had been. And uh, he started screaming at me from the newsroom, Cass, grow the fuck up! You know, screaming as loud as he could, coming up to me, screaming, screaming. And uh, and we had a discussion about it, you know. But um, but I didn't cry or go to the human resources. Oh, my God. You know, please hold my hand. I have to cry. We didn't do that. We just had a drink. That's what you did. Shut up and do your job. I don't understand what 
all this stuff, is it the feminization? I don't want to get women upset, but are, what, ha- are what fam- happened to the newsrooms? You know, Are you familiar with this phrase, the longhouse? No, tell mm-hmm. me about it. This is sort of like this, you know, these edgy new right guys are always coming yeah. up with like different like political theories. And I have this thing called the, the longhouse, which is literally just about the feminization of, of um, you know, workplaces and institutions in this country right. because women handle conflict very differently. Um, and it's not always productive, you know, uh, to handle things in a more sort of feminized style. Like, for instance, as you point out, you know, two men will literally like, you know, get in an argument and they'll take a swing at each other. Right. You know, they, they have a drink afterward or whatever. And, and like it's done. Done, right? right you know i'm not i'm not saying that's always a healthy way to manage conflict but the reality is is like there's it's a very upfront sort of way of handling things whereas more feminine modes of you know conflict resolution involve you know i don't know you know gossiping and weird alliances and other things like that and, and let's you know, yeah let's have uh let's have a Let's go to this a seminar on our feelings and so forth. Exactly. And discussions of feelings and all these sort of oblique <laughs> things. Whereas, you know, it, it's often more productive to just be much more blunt and get everything out in the open. Um, but yeah, um, this has been a big actual topic of discussion um, in terms of like, you know, crumbling institutions as of late. But I would say just, I would give some advice to all you young writers out there. Leave this one alone. It would be like, I remember... Uh, once I was thinking about writing a column about why that women over 60 uh, insist on not wearing hose to work, right? And a friend of mine said to me, she's a woman, her name is Kristen McQuarrie, and she said, John, I'm going to do you a favor. Don't touch this one. This is the third <laughs> rail. <laughs> this yeah. is the third rail. Leave it alone. Just walk away, John. Just walk away. Queries is safe, yeah, I love John. Her. I love it, man. Well, yeah, but I mean, sure. Yeah, but she I was mean, right. She was wrong. She, she was, she was wrong. right. But but the point though is is and I and I and I think you would agree with this. You know, there's this concerted effort to just make entire topics, um, um, you know, out of bounds anymore. Right. You know what? Oh. Whether it's the Durham report or whether it's, you know, the reality of, you know, uh, the crime demographics or, you know, these, these all kinds of things where, you know, it's just far too inconvenient to tell the truth about these things. Um, so it's just easier to, you know, put all sorts of, you know, concerted pressure to make it so you can't even discuss the thing. The crime demographic here you go. You, Mr. Hemingway opens a, (laughs) a dangerous Pandora's box. The crime demographic, that's been the staple of discussion for Jeff Carlin, me, and other people here in Chicago, where we have one of the Soros prosecutors, Kim Fox. Running rampant. Running rampant. And the whole business of we're not going to prosecute because we don't want to put black people in jail. I mean, that's what it, that's what it is. And uh, we can't even discuss it. Yeah. No, yeah. can't. Well, but, you know, there's there's a way to, you know, deal with that. I mean, you know, obviously there are, you know, standards that need to be upheld, right? You know, right. It's, it's true that, you know, a lot of black people went to jail for far too long for crimes that they shouldn't have. But for that nothing. Doesn't mean, right. Right. But that doesn't mean that, you know, uh, <laughs> that everybody gets a jail out of free card, mm-hmm. you know, in response. You know, we can right. set reasonable limits about, like, these are important crimes that, you know, we need to protect society from. Um, and, uh, you know, I it shouldn't be racist to say that. But but, you know, it's also true that, you know, these laws should be applied regardless of, you know, what a person's, you know, background, skin color, whatever, whatever they are. But again, it's the total absence of, of enforcing any standards, you know, that that is, is really the problem and, and really the goal of these people. 
Ugh, it's uh, it's hard to be optimistic in these times, Mark, but I, I can be optimistic in the stuff you're doing over at Real Clear Investigations. I know Tom Bevins, a friend of the podcast, comes on regularly and we love promoting what you guys are doing over there. Um, anything you're working on currently you want to plug or mention or tip uh, a little preview to? Oh, you know, um, no, I've got about 10 different balls in the air and I don't know which one's going to land first. So, <laughs> um, uh, I'll, but you know, oh, I'm happy to come minute. on again and discuss the, <laughs> wait a minute. Is it just me or is the Russian bridge player at the center of the alleged Bill Gates Epstein blackmail story? Yes. <laughs> A dead ringer for Greta Thunberg. Yes, she is. She is and you have right. stolen her dreams. And what, what what's going on with that story? <laughs> You've stolen my dreams, yeah, I, Greta. I, wow. I, did, I did not expect that tweet to go semi-viral, but yes, <laughs> I did notice that the person that Bill Gates was having an affair with allegedly was looks a lot like Greta Thunberg. Very very oh, strange. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. Dead dead ringer. You nail it. Doesn't look like his <laughs> wife. Give you that. Oh boy. And you're and I must say too, Mark's Mark's a great follow at Heminator on uh, Twitter. I hope you uh you live down this bit of notoriety with that tweet, Mr. Hemingway. <laughs> I'll survive. I've I've had a lot worse done to me on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Give us more classical education stories. I'd like the world of classical education, you know. I'm working I, on a couple of projects actually related to that. I don't know, we'll see what happens. Okay. But yeah, I'm a big believer in classical education. Get your kids in classical schools and out of public schools. Out of public school, let them sit on stones in the parking lot and let them talk about the deaths <laughs> of kings in the sun. I, exactly. I think that would work out. Mark Hemingway, thanks so much for doing this with us. Thanks for joining us on the Chicago Way podcast and all our best to your Dear wife, it was a pleasure to talk to you after reading you all these years. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Jeff. Nope. For Mark Hemingway, senior writer at Real Clear Investigations and editor at The Federalists, we are so happy to have had that great conversation with him. Follow him on Twitter at Heminator, H-E-M-I-N-A-T-O-R. And for me, of course, Jeff Carlin, executive producer at WGN Radio, friend of cats, baker of pies. And of course, John Cass, uh, husband and father, editor-in-chief at johncassnews.com. And thank you for joining us for this episode of the Chicago Way podcast on WGN+.